You know, Christmas, I think for, for myself, it's, it's probably one of my favorite times of the year, but I think Christmas comes each year to draw people in from the cold. I heard many of you this morning walking through those doors saying, oh, is it cold out there? I need to, I need to come in here and get warmed up, you know. Um, but it does. It helps us do that. And it, um, it's like tiny little, maybe little sparrows shivering in a winter cold. Many live their lives on the barren branches of heartbreak, disappointment, loneliness, you know, lost in thoughts of shame, self-pity, guilt, maybe even failure. And one blustery day follows another, and the only company that they keep is their fellow strugglers who sometimes land on the same branches that they're on, you know, confused and unprotected. Now, I will tell you the ones, the, the little sparrows out in, in front of um, Sarah's mom's window, Marsha's window, they're fat little guys because we feed them really well. I'm telling you what, those sparrows, we, have, we, we made the mistake in getting a bird feeder that will hold like a, a 50 pounds of bird feed. <laughs> I mean, this, thing, this thing's like a lighthouse. It's huge. And those birds, I mean, they can literally eat I mean, we we fill it up weekly. <laughs> so um, I said to Sarah, I go, by the time winter's over with, man, those birds are going to be so fat that they're not even going to fly. But but <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't get off the subject here. But anyway, well, we try so hard to uh, attract them, those, those people into the warmth. You know, week after week, the church bells, you'll have the church bells ringing, choirs sing, preachers preach. You know, lighted churches send out their beacons, but nothing seems to bring in those who need the warmth the most. And that's the frustration that I think we all face in, in knowing that, that there are people who we really wish would be here that aren't here. You know, then as the year, the, the year comes to a close, you know, Christmas offers this, this absolute wonderful message, Emmanuel, God with us. What a, what a great message. He who, who resides in, in heaven, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, willingly descended into our world. He, he breathed our air. He felt our pain. He knew our sorrows. And he died for our sins. That's what, that's what Jesus did. You know, he, he didn't come to frighten us but to show us the way to warmth and the way to safety. And this is the reason why. It's because he was our deliverer. He was the one who came to deliver us from the sin and darkness that that so easily, as the writer of Hebrews says, entangles us. So when, when the Son of God was on his throne in heaven... And this is, this is a head-scratcher, because why would he want to come? Because when he was on his throne in heaven, the angels cried, Holy, 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 you know, and, and, and the choir sang, Gloria. You know, pure light radiated from his garments, and, and like diamonds his eyes shone, and like thunder his voice rumbled. 
And on his fingertips, lightning danced. I mean, that's, that's our Savior. Then he left his home and he entered into the womb of a teenage girl. They speculate that Mary probably was in the, between 14 and 17 years of age. And when the time came, she gave birth to him on this dirty floor in an animal stall, and she laid him in a feeding trough because, because as embarrassing as it is to say, there was no room for the Son of God anywhere on earth. And that's embarrassing to say. Imagine that same Jesus whom the angels were singing, Gloria and, and holy, 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 and no one wanted him. Max Lucado elaborates on Jesus' inglorious birth in his book, God Came Near. If you've ever had a chance to read that book, you ought to do that. It's a really great book. But here's what, here's what Max Lucado had to say about that. He said, he came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a carpenter. The hands that first held him were, were unmanicured and calloused and, and dirty, no silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, Max goes on to say, there would have been no reception. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts brought to him. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. <laughs> Think about it from that standpoint. You know, it's so true. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. You know, children played in the streets with him. Perhaps maybe he had a crush on a, a girl down the street. Who knows? You know, perhaps he had bony knees. We don't know. But the one thing we know for sure is this. While completely divine, our Lord was completely human, wasn't he? Absolutely. So the question that I have this morning is, why would the Son of God want to become human? Why would he want to become a man? Why would he leave his celestial home and enter into a world of pain and sorrow? Why would he forsake the, the worship of angels to be spat upon and hated by people? Because there were a lot of people who hated him. Why in the world would he come down? Why would he come down? That's the question I want to ask you this morning. And I think the reason has to do with this special plan that God had. He formulated this special plan long before this first Christmas. And, and it's a plan whose beginnings can be found in the pages of the Old Testament. You know, the historical record um, clearly states why Jesus came. We can trace it, God's plan, all the way back to the events in the book of Exodus. And that's what I think is pretty cool about it. You know, the villain in this, in this story is not the paranoid King Herod. Remember King Herod wanted to kill him? He, he made it sound like he wanted to worship him, but really what he wanted to do was he wanted to kill him. So, But the villain in this story is not King Herod, who slaughtered all the babies two years old and down in Bethlehem. It was an Egyptian pharaoh who was cracking the whip of slavery. Rather than 
Joseph and Mary, the heroes of this story, were Moses and Aaron. And in place of shepherds, we have the Hebrew people, the Israelites. Although the names and the events differ in these two stories, the central theme is the same. It's the exact same theme. Does anyone know what that theme is? I said it earlier. What's that? That is right. It's deliverance. That's what the, 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 the central theme is. It's, it's about deliverance. You know, so having migrated to Egypt four centuries earlier, the Hebrew people had become a nation of slaves. That's what they were in, in Egypt. You know, their backs and their spirits were broken, and, and they cried out to the Lord. And so what, what the Lord did was he sent Moses and Aaron to set them free. Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel. What did he say? That's right. Let my people go. Let my people go. The two men announced to Pharaoh, but he refused. And how many times did he announce that? How many times did he come back? About ten times. Ten times. Let my people go. But he refused. So the Lord sent a series of plagues on the Egyptians, plagues designed to change the Pharaoh's heart and his mind. You know, they, they worked momentarily, but soon after the plague was ended, you know, Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And you can find that story in Exodus chapters 5 through 10. But then the Lord formulated this one last plague. Remember what that plague was? It was horrible. And he figured that that plague would surely dissolve Pharaoh's ego and, and obstruction, and, and then finally the children of Israel would be let go. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles. Well, actually, it'll be up here too. Exodus twelve twelve. Here's what it says. It says, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. That's what he tells us. So in, in order for the Hebrews firstborn to be spared, God gave Moses this specific instruction for his people. Each family had to select an unblemished one-year-old lamb. They had to kill it at twilight. And on the 14th day of the Hebrew month, which was called Niacin, they had to smear some of the blood on the doorpost over their houses. Then they were to roast the lamb and they were to eat the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. We call that the Seder meal or the cedar meal. And that's found in Exodus chapter 12 verses 3 through 8. And, and one thing more about this that, that, that they needed to do. They needed to eat it in haste, verse 11 says. You need to eat this in haste because the Lord is going to strike down the firstborn of Egypt at night and Pharaoh would be in a hurry to release the Hebrews. God called this meal the Passover because it says in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, as you can see up here, it says, the blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. That's what he tells them. The, the thing that I want to tell you guys is this. Don't let the the Okay, slow down. In my mind, the familiarity, there we go, I got it, of this story dull your impact of, of what God is trying to do here. God is a master teacher, 
And this is one of the, I think it's one of the finest object lessons that he ever, he ever displayed. You know, the Lord could have chosen any number of ways to deliver the Hebrew people. He could have done that. He could have issued them razor-sharp swords. He could have provided boats for them to escape across the Nile. He could have, he could have wiped out the Egyptian army with just one word. That's all he would have had to have done. Instead, he was teaching his people a never-to-be-forgotten lesson, and that is this. Deliverance from judgment comes through the blood of a pure lamb. That's what he was trying to tell us. So when the 14th day of the month arrived, the Hebrews killed the lambs, they smeared the blood on the doorpost, and they ate their meal in haste. Then notice what it says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. It said, it said at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials uh, and, and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not, one, not a house without someone dead. That's what he tells us. As anticipated... The devastated Pharaoh immediately sends away the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, who quickly left. They took the gifts of clothing and the silver and the gold that they had, that they had plundered, you know, these riches that, that would later become materials to build the tabernacle, which we talked about earlier this, this month was a portable worship center where the Hebrews carried with them through the wilderness where they were able to worship God from. So when they reached Mount Sinai, God instructed Moses on how the people should approach him in the tabernacle. And Moses wrote these regulations in a book called Leviticus, which is a really, really interesting read. I'm kidding with you guys. Leviticus is a really hard book to read, but, but, but it does have a lot in it that is really important. And if you'll notice about the, the, what the concept is uh, as far as the emphasis and the significance of blood in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. This is what it says. It says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that, that makes atonement for one's life. Wow. So not only did the Israelites need blood as a sign for God to let his judgment pass over them. But they also needed ongoing blood sacrifices to atone for their sins, to make them at one with God again. That's what they did. So God requires blood instead of something else for the atoning sin, you know, because blood contains life. And life, it's the life of the sacrificed. It's that unblemished lamb. So the sinless substitute dies so the sinner might be forgiven and live. That was God's plan. This is the method of atonement that God chose. You know, anticipating the, the once and for all sacrifice that was coming. That once and for all sacrifice of the coming Lamb of God, Jesus, the Messiah, who was there to take away the sins of the world. That was God's plan. And so we see the, the, the prophetic promise as it's unfolding. 
Because the centuries after the book of Exodus, God summons prophets into Israel's landscape to peer into the, the spiritual horizon and foretell the characteristics of what this future Messiah was going to be like or what he was going to look like. That's what they did. That's what he did for us. And this is what Isaiah said of the coming Messiah. Notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. It says in verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then he says in verses 6 and 7, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with, right, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what he tells us. You know, gazing deeper into the future as we continue you know, Isaiah reveals more about the coming Messiah's character uh, and, and future reign of righteousness and deliverance and hope. Here's what he says in, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. He says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he, he, by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with his, the rod of his mouth. With, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. My question to you is, are you getting excited about that? This is, this is a prophecy that took place, you know, many, many years before the, even the birth of Jesus Christ right here. And, and he's talking about Jesus. Such a glorious king. Surely he will be born into Jewish royalty. But according to another prophet, Micah, this is what he had to say about it. He said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he says, You, but you, Bethlehem of Paphrath, he says, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That's what he tells us. A humbly born king, a righteous judge, a sacrificial lamb. You know, these Old Testament themes and prophecies stir within each of us. And I hope and I pray they stir within each of us feelings of great and hopeful expectation. Christmas is, is definitely about expectation, isn't it? You know, when we're, when we're getting up at, from Christmas Eve to Christmas morning... You know, the, the children, look at the expectations on their, on their faces, you know, the, the excitement, you know, that, that they're going to be able to gather around the tree. You know, well, Christmas is like that for us as Christians. 
It's that great expectation that, you know, that gift of the Christ child that we get to receive, you know, Jesus, the Messiah. You know, so, so a humbly born king, a righteous judge, a sacrificial lamb, you know, these Old Testament themes and prophecies stir within us this expectation. And when the doors of the New Testament finally swing open, ushering us in to meet the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who is it that introduces us to him? It's John the Baptist. Jesus the Messiah, it's John the Baptist. He was the forerunner and he had a message and here's what it included. And we talked about this last week. In John chapter 1, he says in verses 6 and 7 here, as soon as I find it here, if you go to John chapter 1, it says, in, beginning with verse 6, oh, I'm getting there. Here it is. It says, beginning with verse 6 and 7, it says, it says this, it says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. And then if you go down to verse 19, it says this. It says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. And then go down to verse 23. It says, John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord for the Lord. Now some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me and the throngs of uh, of the sandals I am not even worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethlehem on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So you see, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And this is what he said. This is what John said. He said, look, see him coming. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he tells us. Takes away the sin of the world. You know, John's pronouncement to me is like a bright red ribbon woven from centuries of Passover celebrations and, and, and the, the prophet's anticipation and, and, and tied around this, this heavenly wrapped package that God wanted to give us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood, folks, whose blood marks the doorpost of our hearts. Do you get the picture? It's not the doorpost of your house anymore where He's going to pass over the children of Israel. It is the doorpost of our hearts. At the coming judgment, God will pass over us. He, he, he passed over the Hebrew families in Egypt. And, and he will pass over us because the Son of God is going to stand there and say, This is mine. He belongs to me or she belongs to me. And they will lead us into that celestial promised land. Christ is not just the Passover lamb. He is also our sacrificial lamb slain on the heavenly altar, 
in obtaining for us eternal redemption. That's what he has done. You know, if, if, if you want to read more about it, turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 says this. It says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on, on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He has become our sacrifice. That's who who Jesus is. He has become our living sacrifice. So why in the world? Let's go back to that question again. Why in the world would the Son of God come down? Why would he come? Why would he come? I think this verse provides the answer. He came not to show off anything of his perfection, nor to make our lives more comfortable. He didn't come for those things. But to show himself to God as our sacrificial substitute, the Lamb of God, who was born to die. That's why Jesus did that. So what does this mean practically for us? Why, why he departed? You know, with, with a crown of thorns crushed on his brow, spikes hammered through his, 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 his wrist and his feet, and a spear thrust into his side, the Lamb of God was slain on an altar of a, of a rough wooden cross. Why? Because deliverance comes, remember we talked about that, the deliverance. Deliverance comes through the blood of a pure lamb. Through the blood, God's wrath towards sin was satisfied. It was propitiated. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We've talked about this before. Once and for all, he says, my dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Praise the Lord. Amen. Whew. If you have time later on this week, you should read Hebrews chapter 10. It'll even go into even greater detail about that. <clears throat> so that first Christmas present that I asked if you were ready to open a couple weeks ago is Christ, the Lamb of God, who has secured our deliverance and offered it to each one of us <coughs> as a Christmas gift, placed with love under his Christmas tree, <coughs> excuse me, with, which is a wooden cross. That's what Jesus did for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <coughs> the Christmas story is all about moving from slavery to sin, <coughs> captivity, despair, to deliverance. Deliverance. God's message to his people throughout scripture and to us is that even in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our despair, 
He has promised deliverance. That's what he has promised. That's what Christmas is all about, guys. Deliverance. God made the gospel so simple that a person like me could understand it. Praise the Lord. I can be as thick as a brick sometimes. But he's made that so simple to understand. And here's the gospel, guys. All you need is Jesus, and you win. That's the Christmas story. If you've got Jesus, you win. It it really doesn't matter what we're going through in this life on this earth, whatever, whatever your despair is or your disability or whatever issues you're working through now or in the future. At the end of time, you will be victorious if you put your, your trust, your faith, your, be- your obedience, and your hope in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, you win. That's, that's the simple gospel message. If you have Jesus, you win. Because deliverance isn't the answer. So you're saying, What? Say, well, Bob, you just told me, you've, all this message, you said deliverance, you know, it's about deliverance, but deliverance isn't the answer. You know what it is? It's the deliverer. He is the answer. Amen? He is the answer. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus. And Matthew one twenty one says this. It says, she shall give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Our comforter, our hope, our deliverer, his name is Jesus. And he is our first Christmas present. Amen? Praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to close our time together, and we're going to sing a final song here, and I'm not sure what that song is. Is it O Holy Night? Oh boy. Well, I love that. That's my favorite Christmas song. But if you don't have this Christmas present, this Christmas present is open to every single person in this room and in this world. His name is Jesus. And if you call upon his name, you will be saved. We have a baptistry right here waiting for you if you, if you, if you want to be baptized this morning. If you want to share something, if, you, if there's something going on in your heart and your mind that you need to share, you know, you need to repent of, whatever decision that you need to make this morning, don't leave this building with, with um, a separation between you and Christ. He calls to you today. His name is Jesus. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And his name is Jesus. Come this morning and stand as we sing, O Holy Night.